My name is Carl Carty. Some of you I have known for many years. Luke, Sandy, nice to see you guys. Some of you might have seen me wandering around here from time to time, leading worship occasionally up here uh, with Bosky and the team. There are still those of you who have no idea who I am, and it's okay. I want to introduce myself to you. I've been a part of fellowship in one way or another uh, since 2003 when my wife and I moved here uh, from North Carolina. Now I serve as a pastor of worship and arts, and I help give oversight to worship at both our Brentwood and our Franklin campus. And so that is what I do, uh, who I am. I'm married to Heather. You'll hear more about her. Uh, she's up here uh, with sitting on the front, giving me thumbs up or thumbs down, depending on what I say. Um, we have four sons, and um, I am so honored to be a part of this church. And that uh, God would use me in this church is a great privilege of my life, and I'm grateful for it. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity to get to talk to you guys today. Um, we're gonna have a good time together. God's gonna move. And if he moves like he did in the first service, um, it'll be special, be powerful. If you've spent much time with me, you'll know that I, I have a thing that I do. I have a lot of things that I do, but right before I'm about to like sing or speak or do anything in front of people, I have this little prayer. I have prayed it for many, many, many years, but I always say, Lord, this just loaves and fishes. Will you take it, bless it, break it, multiply it? and use it to feed your people. So, I'm about to pray that prayer. <laughs> Will you pray it with me? I don't wanna pray, I don't wanna go any further unless we pray that. Lord, I do bring to you today these loaves and fishes. It's just a little bit. It's what you've laid on my heart, so I bring it to you and I ask you to take it now in these moments. Add your blessing to it. Add your miracle power to it multiply it, change it, transform it from what it, what it is in my hands and make it to what it could be in your hands. Use it, Jesus. And would you do it for your glory and for our joy? Amen. Amen. So we've been talking just for two weeks, last week and now this week about why we gather. And if you'll remember our lead pastor, Rob Sweet, talked last week about why we gather, three main points that he said we gather to worship God, to fellowship with Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to fellowship with the Spirit. He also made a point about Hebrews 10.22. Stuck with me all week. It said, let us draw near to God, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. He said, we're cleansed with both, in both mind and body because we sin with both. I'm here to remind you today that we also worship with both. We express in this gathering the things that are in our hearts and on our minds, we express them with our bodies. Stick with me. I wanna talk to you today about expression and particularly expression in this gathering. Now, I can't cover everything about worship. It's, it would be impossible. But today I want to address specifically what we do in this gathering. And a big thing of that, that we do in this gathering is singing 
And so I'm gonna talk a little bit about singing today. And I believe that you'll have a choice to make about what you'll do with your singing voice as it relates to this gathering when we get done. If the Lord shows up and he does what he, only he can do, then we'll have, we'll have some choices to make. I'll begin helping you think about why you would sing with a quick story. Just a small town girl living in a lonely world. <laughs> she took the midnight train. Okay, now you're with me. One of the reasons that we sing in this room together is that it reinforces the beliefs in our heads and helps to seal them in our hearts. It is as if we are singing so that we don't stop believing, you know? Okay. Thank you. Okay. Tommy used to work on the docks. Unions been on strike. You know where I'm going. He said, we got to hold on to what we've got. It doesn't make a difference if we make it or not because we've got each other. And that's a lot. When you and I sing together in this room, stick with me. It gets, it gets more serious and a lot more cerebral. Trust me. Um, no, it doesn't. When we sing together in this room, you and I remind one another that what we're doing in here transcends this material reality and helps us to remember that we are as spiritual as we are natural. We are looking together when we sing at each other and then also picturing the Christian hope where we will be together one day, pure and free and delivered forever. That's what happens when we sing together. I have been a worship leader all of my life. And I have been to church a lot, a whole lot. I was raised Pentecostal. I was educated Baptist. I now am married to a former Lutheran. I go to a Bible church. I've been to church a lot. I traveled the country leading worship for all kinds of churches for 20 years. And uh, I've just, I've seen a bunch happen in church. My favorite things that happened to me in church were things that happened to me when I was still a little kid in the Pentecostal church. Any any former Pentecostals or current Pentecostals? All right, just a few people, but we are, we are a mighty tribe, although we are small. But it was not uncommon for me to see Miss Willie kick off her shoes and run around the church, expressing in her heart in a very out, out loud way how, how much she loved the Lord. She would run the aisles of the church. Miss Willie, Mr. Dan, he was a very cool, collected kind of a person. But every now and then the spirit would move Dan and he would slip out from his pew and he would like do like a James Brown little dance there like at the front of the church. It was awesome. I saw some crazy things happen in church. I was playing the keyboards one time during a man's testimony that it ended with he and my father about to get in a fight. I'm not kidding. He had made some threats during his testimony and to my dad. So like... Hopefully nothing even close to anything like that ever happens again. But I remember just like, I was probably 15 years old at the time, just playing the keyboards. And I was like, is my dad gonna fight that guy? (laughs) In church, in church. So I, you know, I've seen a lot. In that time, having led worship and been a part of so many gatherings like this, 
I have come up with a little definition about what worship is. This is just kind of from me, collected from you know, different experiences that I've had, but different things that I've realized through the Lord's word. And it's, it's this, worship is our mind's attention and our heart's affection expressed. Our mind's attention and our heart's affection expressed. And I wanna talk to you today, to, to be clear, when I talk about worship today, I'm specifically addressing this gathering that we're a part of now, this kind of, so when I say, that's what I'm talking about now, to, to remind you, you are a purpose-built worship machine. You were built for it. As an individual, you usually end up worship, having worship that somebody or some things alter every day. Now we have, if you're like me, you have trouble. Sometimes I, I lose sight of the living God and I give my mind's attention and my heart's affection to something or someone else. But I can't stop worshiping. But what happens in this gathering is it, you and I help one another when we express what's in our minds and on our hearts. When we do it together in this gathering, it, it's a way of tuning our hearts together and reminding us, oh, I'm made, I'm made for worship. I'm made for community. I'm made to express. And so that's what we're gonna talk about together today. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lover, lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. Go with me, if you will, to Boiling Springs, North Carolina. It's in 1995. I'm in college. The world was laid out before me. It's my oyster, and I found a pearl. Um, I will show you my pearl. Okay, this is my wife. Or well, this was this was 1995. A girl named Heather Lookadoo. I first saw her walking across the campus of Gardner Webb University, and I thought in my head, she is pretty. She has blonde hair. That is a favorite. She is she is taller than me. I can work with that. She has a sparkly smile. I would like to get to know her. And then I, I felt in my heart, I got to be around her a couple times and I felt off balance, uncomfortable, nervous. Uh, when, I, when I was with young Heather, I was like, <laughs> I was, you know, I was trying to do like feats of strength and like, you know, but like I, I really, I, I, was, I, 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 was ner I was nervous, she disarmed me. And so I had this experience, a very real experience, I had these thoughts in my head about her. I had these feelings in my heart about her. I was completely and 100% authentic with how I thought and I felt, but it was an internal reality. All inside. It was not until the day that I walked up to her, gathered all my courage, looked her in the eye and said, you are pretty. I like you will you go with me to the Outback Steakhouse? <laughs> and it was at that moment 
because of that expression, a whole new world opened up to me. She said, yeah, I had no idea you felt that way. It's like, well, we can talk about it over a blooming onion. It was what was in my head and my heart was real, but something materialized that changed my destiny upon the expression of it. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about singing. We're going to answer three questions. First question I want to address with you today is what difference does it make when we sing or when we express? Second question is, what difference does it make if we refuse, if we refuse to sing or express? And then third, what choice, what choice will you make? What will you choose? What we'll find today is that God's invitation to worship is way more than an invitation to sing. It is, it's an invitation to experience him with your whole heart in a way that you never, maybe never have before. I wanna welcome you into that today. So let's jump in. First question, what difference does it make when we sing? I got several thoughts on this, several points. The first one is incredibly important though. When you sing, you are following in obedience to the scriptures. There are over 400 mentions of singing in the Bible, over 50 direct commands to sing. Most common direct command in the Bible is don't be afraid or fear not. Among the second most repeated commands in the Bible is to sing. Don't be afraid and sing. It's a great reminder. And when you obey that command, when you sing, you're obeying the Lord's command in your life. And you can look through the Bible. There are so many scriptures. I could stand up here for the next 30 minutes and read out loud to you all of what the Bible has to say about singing. It's simply a reminder that it's in there for a reason. The Lord has commanded it. Now, singing is a command, not a suggestion. And many people say to me, Carl, I'm not a singer. I understand that as a concept. But I also understand the concept of biblical commands. The Lord says it, and I obey it. Now, I obey it by faith. When, we, when, we, when we're invited to sing in the Bible, we're not, God's not inviting us to win American Idol. He's just inviting us to receive the joy that obedience to his commands offers us. So when you sing, you're obeying the Bible. Second thing that happens, when you sing, the word of Christ dwells in you richly. Colossians 3.16 says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. When we sing anything, it has a way of sticking with us. But when we sing the truths of God, they begin to dwell in us, to take up residence in us. Now, we sing all kinds of songs at Fellowship. We sing songs that are hundreds of years old, and we sing songs that are a few days old sometimes. Brian Yakubowski, our worship pastor down here, he, 
He writes great songs and sometimes we sing those songs. So we sing all kinds of different songs at Fellowship. I cannot promise you that you will like every song we sing. That's very subjective. What I can promise you is that every song we sing will have its roots in the word of God and the truths that I ask you guys or Brian or Mandy ask you guys to sing, those truths will have their roots in the word of the Lord because we believe and we know and we understand that when we sing the truths of God, they begin to take up residence in our hearts and it transforms us from the inside out. So when you sing, the word of Christ dwells in you richly. Third thing, when you sing, the enemy is defeated. I need that so much in my life. You feel darkness encroaching you sometimes. And I wish for a solution sometimes. I wish I had a real good plan or a real good strategy. I got a story from the Bible that, that, that may help you change your thinking about that, may help me change my thinking. Second Chronicles 17 tells a story of good King Jehoshaphat. The Bible describes some pretty good times for the king. The Lord's blessing, it would seem, followed his devotion. Second Chronicles 17, verse six, talking about Jehoshaphat. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places in the ashram out of Judah. Talking about idols there. Jehoshaphat was concerned with the corporate gathering. Hey, these people were getting together for worship and hey, it's being corrupted by idols. He worked very hard to preserve the teaching of the Lord's word and the corporate worship of God's people. Now, in 2 Chronicles 20, it would seem that the tide turned against Jehoshaphat politically and the kingdom comes under attack. 2 Chronicles 20, verse two. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. This is the king, the leader, the guy. Everyone in the nation has heard the rumors that just on the outskirts of the city, there's a multi-nation army coming against us. We need a plan. What are you gonna do, Jehoshaphat? You're the guy in charge. Lead us, show us, help us. Jehoshaphat does an interesting thing. Second Chronicles 20, verse 20. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. They're going to fight. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you'll be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Amnon, Moab and Mount Seir. The Lord set the ambushes. I wonder what he did. and they were defeated. In the face of your enemies, you're outnumbered, outmaneuvered, outwitted. On paper, it's over. But God loves a heart 
that's willing to give him the glory in the face of an enemy. And when he hears his song, does he not come to the rescue? Does he not defeat the enemies from our lives? He's done it in my life. He, done it, he does it over and over in his word. I know he'll do it in your life. I challenge you this week in the face of fear and oppression from the enemy to lift up a praise instead of a plan, to lift up a song instead of a sword and to see if the God of all heaven's power does not come and fight for you. Imagine how tuned you are to the cry of your kids. I know not everyone has a kid, but maybe if you do have a kid, you'll, you'll, you'll realize your kid has a, your kid has a, well, my kids have a real cry and a fake cry. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, the, 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 the fake cry is like, I'm not getting off the couch for that. <laughs> but when I hear their voice and I know they're crying out for me and I know they need a rescue, nothing in this world will hold me back from coming to the aid of my little dude. Nothing. How much more is God tuned to the cry of his sons and, sons and daughters when we lift up a praise in the face of our enemy? We try to lift a sword sometimes, but it's clumsy and clunky and we have no, we have no business. We don't know what we're doing. I challenge you this week. Lift up a song instead of a sword and see what God might do on your behalf. The next thing, when we sing, the difference it makes is the gospel is proclaimed. One of the great privileges of my life is to hear the news of someone who got saved during one of our worship services. And you might be surprised to know I've heard it many times. I've heard many times a person come and say to me, Carl, when I heard the sound of men and women singing, when I heard the sound of souls redeemed, lifting up Jesus' name, it was then that I took my first step in faith toward Jesus because I knew that they were talking about a redemption that I didn't have for myself. And so I had to join in and be a part of what God was doing in those people's lives. When you sing, you proclaim the gospel. It's just like amazing grace. Amazing grace is at, is at home around a campfire or in a cathedral. It can be welcomed where a sermon would never be listened to. But when we sing, we proclaim the gospel. And when we do it, people listen and they fall at Jesus' feet. I've seen it, it happens. When you sing, you proclaim the gospel. Okay, important question. Been talking a lot about the difference it makes when you sing. Carl, what if I can't sing? Why would the Bible command us to do something that we can't do? Okay, biblical tip here. There's a lot of that in the Bible. There's a lot of commands in the Bible that we can't do when we look at them through the lens of our own effort and our own ability. It, it's actually all of it. I'm just, going to, I'm just going to tell you, it's all of it. When we look at 
the Bible and accomplishing what it calls us to do through the lens of our own ability, we're going to fall short. So if you might say you can't sing, I might say, man, I have, I have trouble loving my neighbors myself. You might say, I'm not a very expressive person. I, I don't like doing that. I, I totally understand that. It's hard, it's hard for me to do certain things as well. It's not, it's not part of my nature. But what Christ is inviting us into is a journey of faith and trusting in him with who we are who he's made us to be. He's inviting us into this song so that we can feel what it's like to have our inadequacies lifted up by his goodness, to have our failures undone by his grace. We don't have to win a contest, but it might be worth it to accept the invitation into something that was, is greater than we ever imagined it could be. If you, if, if you don't think you can sing on your own, you're probably right. But by faith, it might make more difference than you ever imagined it would. I invite you in. And if you're still nervous, Psalm 81.10, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Hallelujah. That's a, faith, that's a faith song right there. I'm gonna do it. I don't do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna open up. It's the Lord's work to fill it. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, second question I said we we're going to address. What happens if you refuse to sing? Now, for the next few minutes, if you feel like someone is preaching to you, you will be right. All right? I want to encourage you though. Sometimes encouragement takes a little bit of pressure. What happens when you refuse to sing? I really only have a couple of points on this because I want to spend a little bit of time exploring this one thought particularly. One thing that happens when we refuse to sing is that we are in danger of withholding back from God something that he wants from us. We're in danger of withholding from God something that he wants from us. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, is a description of an event. It's addressed to the king of Tyre, who was an earthly king. But it's largely believed that it is also a prophetic description of Lucifer's fall from heaven. The Bible says this about Lucifer and his fall from heaven in Ezekiel 28. I'll start reading at verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, the topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was created for you on the day, was prepared for you on the day you were created. Lucifer is described as an absolutely beautiful being, literally made of instruments with timbrels and pipes, an eternal expression of sight and sound for God's glory. An absolutely magnificent 
creature. Verse 17 says this though, but your heart was proud and lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Now, trading or merchandising in this might seem like an odd word. The context here, to use that word, the context is exploitative. There's nothing necessarily wrong with trading or something uh, or buying or selling, um, but here the deeper meaning beneath it is this. He was exploiting what belonged to someone else, taking a little back for himself. So if I work in your shop, and uh, like Luke, I work for you, and um, I'm your employee, I sell your goods, but every now and then I just take a little for myself, put it in my pocket. That's what's being described here. When we come to worship and we refuse to engage, we refuse to sing because our style preference or what we like is not represented in the room, that is a version taking a little back for yourself. Particularly in our context, if we just endure the worship time so that we can wait to hear someone preach, because we don't like the music, but we're here for the preaching, you might be in danger of holding a little back for yourself. Brothers and sisters, as your worship pastor, I shepherd you away from that dangerous ground. I will say this, in this pulpit, at this campus and at the Brentwood campus, there are faithful men of God who teach and preach the Bible better than anyone in the country. You remember saying, me saying, I've been to church a lot? I've heard a lot of preachers preach. And I will tell you, there are hardly any better than Rob and Lloyd and the other men, men who teach at this church. But to that, I will add this thought. We do not worship for better preaching. We preach for better worship. We do not worship for better preaching. We preach for better worship. And that is my heart to tell you because mission trips and Bible studies and offerings and prayers and discipleship groups and fellowship groups, all of those things go away. All of the Christian things that we do go away, save one thing that echoes from this life into the next, and that is the gathered people of God lifting up the name of God. So when we do that together, we're picturing eternity. When we do that together, we are kind of holding on to the literal Christian hope. We're remembering that God did not merely give us intellectual concepts that we can roll over in our mind. He gave us the ability to know truth so that we could then experience Breast truth to say how good he is. Amen. You still with me? Hallelujah. I think this is going great. <laughs> I was nervous about that last part. But I do, I want to be so careful because I love this church so much. I love you guys so much. And I want to see you experience all that there is in Jesus. Another thing we do 
when we refuse to sing is that we, ne- we can tend to neglect the emotional aspect of our lives together. I often hear cautions about things being not, not being too emotional. Hey, I don't, I don't get too emotional. I, maybe you don't hear that. I hear that a lot. Maybe it's because I'm like a super emotional person. <laughs> hey, emotions are good. They're not the problem. Emotionalism is bad where you value an experience based purely on whether or not it was really emotional. But that's, that's not our problem. Um, I'm more interested in us pouring out our hearts to God with a genuine expression that is both rooted in truth and feeling. Jesus told the woman at the well, the father is seeking a certain kind of worshiper. They are, he is seeking worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. I believe that is a comprehensive expression of all of your intellect and all of your emotion together in one. You remember when I asked Heather to go out to the outback. What I didn't do was go up to her and say, based on a thorough analysis of your suitability as a mate, I would like to take the following steps in order to acquire a date with you. I didn't do it like that. I I spoke from the heart because that's as much of a part of me as what I thought and felt in an internal reality. When we're in this place together, I want you to remember, hey, this is real. It's not just a concept. It's an experience. I invite you into it. Finally, my last question, what will you choose? In the Messianic prophecy, Isaiah 61, it's actually the same, it's a prophecy Jesus read from this very prophecy when he stood up in the temple after he had been in the wilderness for 40 days, he went to the temple, he reads this prophecy. It's a messianic prophecy. He closes up the scroll and he says, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing today. This is what Jesus said. Jesus gives us the perfect example of what expression looks like, what he looks like, the ultimate expression. What was in his mind? and in his heart expressed. Listen to this from Isaiah 61. Jesus being described. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve, in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. When we gather in this room, will you remember that Christ came to give you a garment of praise. He is that garment of praise. And when you choose to express, you're choosing to express Jesus when we're in here together. You proclaim the gospel. Hold nothing back for yourself because 
in light of who Jesus is, there's nothing left worth keeping. We're gonna spend a few minutes on the backside of this service practicing what I've been preaching about. I don't want this to just be an intellectual concept for you. I wanna encourage you to remember that what we do in here has transformative spiritual meaning. It matters so much. I wanna remind you that the Bible says that when we put on love, it binds everything together in perfect harmony, like a real good song. I wanna remind you that when you put on the garment of praise, you do so remembering that the garments of Christ were stripped from him. His indignity became our splendor. On the cross, he was put to shame so that we might have the oil of joy poured out on our lives. And so when we stand and sing, we do so remembering that we are robed in Jesus, just like Revelation 19.6. It pictures a place where we worship together, where addiction and brokenness and depression and grief and tears are ultimately undone with a song people robed in white garments dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. Revelation 19, 6, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, pure and bright for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints, the work of Christ robing us. Can we spend the rest of this morning together singing to the glory of God? I wanna invite you to stand and maybe for the first time in your life, maybe you've been saying your whole life, I'm not a singer. You're invited in. Maybe you've been saying, oh, that's not for me. I invite you in. I give you permission to lift your voice without fear or shame in this place today. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. Come on. Let's sing it out. We give you the highest praise. <laughs>